Bendigo Business Stories podcast, produced by B Bendigo, acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to our Mental Health and Wellbeing series as part of the Bendigo Business Stories podcast, proudly produced by B Bendigo and supported by the Victorian Government. Wellbeing at work is becoming increasingly important for a new generation of post-pandemic workers. Join me, your host Kimberly Finesse, as we talk to local experts, leaders and business operators about stories of wellbeing, resilience and good business practices. More and more professionals, and especially micro and small business owners, often operate from the heart of their home. Their path is not without challenges. The isolation, the self-reliance, the financial struggles, and the constant juggling of work, personal, and family life. It's a tough balancing act. That's where this podcast comes in. We're here to tell their stories and to recognize what it takes to not only survive, but thrive in business. We look forward to introducing you to our special guests. Hello, Finn. Thank you for joining me as a guest to talk about hospitality industry as part of our mental health and wellbeing series. Thanks very much. It's really lovely to have this opportunity. It's so nice to be in the dispensary. Well, uh, it is our little home away from home. It is picturesque. Uh, We love our little laneway community here and uh, we do what we can to make it beautiful for Bendigo. Yeah, and I suppose that's the thing. You could start at one end You know, you come through El Gordo, grab yourself a coffee, then you're to the next and you can have a little shopping robe, maybe get a haircut if you need a men's haircut. You know, you've got flowers directly across from you and, you know, depending on how long that takes, you could end with a wine and something to eat. Well, that is a great day, I reckon. Yeah, uh, we we certainly have a lot of visitors come through here and a lot of locals call our laneway special to them and recommend not just the dispensary but our community. It's great. absolutely beautiful. Now, before we do get into it, uh, this episode is actually being released on Christmas Day. So to those who are listening on December 25, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, here's to making memories. To everyone who is clocking into work, especially those in emergency services and the hospitality industry, thank you for your time. It doesn't go unnoticed. What do you do on Christmas Day, Finn? Well, um, very lucky to have a, a small business and uh, we make the decision to close on Christmas Day because family's very, very important, not just for the proprietors, but for all of our team as well. There would be some hospitality venues that are open on Christmas Day. Uh, for those of us that can't cook and like to go out, which would be hands up me, I try and find someone's home where someone can cook. <laughs> it is not my speciality. What is it like to work on Christmas Day for the hospitality industry? Well, we've, um, we've had some experience of, of that uh, over the, the many years that I've worked in hospitality. Some places give you a choice whether you work on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or New Year's Eve. And the idea of not being with your family, it really works for some people because uh, <laughs> we all know family. But uh, I reckon most people feel a little bit lonely but it's nice to have that camaraderie. If you're in hospitality and you're away from your family, spending Christmas together can be a really fun thing to do at work. The stresses are you're looking after the uh, people and people who don't organise their own Christmas and have high expectations, you're under the spotlight 
and uh, you have to be prepared and you have to be on your game and uh, it can be quite challenging and quite stressful and especially around Christmas when people are around family that they haven't seen for a while. There's a lot of individual pressures on your guests that uh, you may or may not be aware of and you've always got the person who organises everything and feeling the pressure and, and as a front of house professional you have to manage that and that's certainly a challenge. Absolutely. I think a theme that has come through the other episodes is kindness. So maybe that's something that people can take into the holiday period, whether it's Christmas Day, Boxing Day, all of those sales where retail is absolutely crazy at this time of year, is to add a little bit of kindness when you are dealing with front of staff. Absolutely, absolutely. We certainly spend a lot of time in our own heads, don't we? And um, we've all got our own stresses. You've got to buy this for the kids and you're not sure if you're going to be able to afford the meat for, for Christmas as everything's going up in, in cost and price. You've got your family coming around and that uh, really annoying auntie or whatever it is and, uh, and you can be fully stressed out. And that you can feel as a front of house waiter you can feel that as the girl from robe who's trying to really do her best to look after you but you're in a rush so uh, yeah definitely be aware of your own energy and uh, be aware of the energy that you bring into a place because um, it's palpable and um, you can really make a difference if you just take a deep breath before you step in and uh enjoy the space for what it's supposed to be and I think that'll be a really important message for for those who are running around out there. Just take a deep breath. When you mention about recognising someone's energy, do you recognise that when they come through the door? Can you tell whether someone's had a bad day? Oh yeah, (laughs) it's so obvious, uh, especially when you've had a little bit of practice and if you are taking that time yourself to uh, take a deep breath because you get pretty busy in hospitality too and uh, you forget to breathe yourself and uh, and someone who's on a Sunday afternoon stroll they say oh this place looks nice and uh, you're all in your own head about the 10 different things that you have to do you have to make a margarita and you have to go and see table four and you haven't even brought menus to table seven and then the phone's ringing so you're like what do you want (laughs) (laughs) what do you want instead of good afternoon and welcome (laughs) it must be an absolute skill that you have to learn it's a a learnable trainable skill and uh, that's really important you know um, in our industry to be able to communicate these things to those without the experience is fundamental to a really warm, welcoming environment and happy staff and happy customers. Absolutely. Have you Googled yourself? (laughs) No, not for a while. (laughs) Not for a while. Well, I've done it for you. Um, (laughs) I Googled and, I mean, you are well known in the hospitality industry anyhow, but you've had a lot of media as well. Uh, You're definitely a voice for the industry, for Bendigo tourism as a whole. But I would love to know, what's your career path been like to this point? Well, I've always had hospitality in my blood. I loved family dinners when I came home from boarding school. I loved my parents had people over for dinner parties and 
that was fundamental in my choice to do a apprenticeship as a waiter at the front. I was blessed and lucky enough to have my dad being friends with a doyen of hospitality in Luigi Bazzani. And Luigi Bazzani had the first restaurant that had tablecloths outside of Melbourne, and that was in Bendigo on Park Corner there uh, at uh, the Copper Pot, which is now Foss Restaurant. Nick's there now, doing great things with fantastic uh, hospitality in his jeans too. So I worked with Luigi for a year, and um, I worked with him at a beautiful uh, five-star, three-chef's hat restaurant and vineyard. So that's where I got a little bit of a taste for wine. He put me in the bar, gave me a little bit of an introduction into bar, and his son, Andreas, schooled me in everything from mopping a floor with energy to ironing my shirt properly, a silver service of bread rolls and topping up wine. And that's where I got my passion for education as well, because I sucked. I was terrible. One of Athalie, uh, Luigi's wife's most fun comments is that she was about to send me home to my dad. She didn't know how she was going to say that I couldn't do it. And just before she had to make that call, I was uh, trained in brandy and cognac by a brandy and cognac expert from France. And um, the next day, because of that training, I was selling in 1994 $36 shots of uh, the most magnificent exo cognacs and people were having the best time. So I was given this confidence and I was making fantastic sales for the business and um, all of a sudden I blossomed into what was going to be a waiter down the track. So it was a pretty fun thing to do. I left um, Warren Mang in the Victorian Pyrenees and went to Melbourne University and um, I helped supplement my lifestyle by working in hospitality. I worked at a beautiful little restaurant in St Kilda called Donovan's and um, that was the first time that I worked with somebody who really had their training and development and their systems in place. It was run by a dude called Kevin Donovan and he was a food and beverage director of the Hyatt group and um, he certainly had all of his uh, I's dotted and T's crossed when it came to induction expectation and all of these sort of things and uh, it gave me a little bit of an understanding of what professional rather than a family business that was fantastic but a professional um, well-oiled machine that did lots and lots of numbers. It was, uh, it was a really great learning experience and off to Byron Bay I went after many years of doing that and we'll forget about university because uh, I got good at numbers but uh, it wasn't for me the, the scientific labs. So off to Byron Bay where you go when you're looking great and the sun shines and I was never going to do hospitality again. I thought I'd have had a taste of it. So I brought my guitar, chucked it in the back of my panel van and um, I was looking for a job as a labourer because I had nothing on paper that I, I could do up there. So while I was waiting for my labourer job, I stepped behind a bar and yeah, then I got poached to run Raise at What He Goes, which is an amazing seven-room boutique hotel in Watergoes Beach where all the, all the superstars are finally found. So this is before the Hemsworths. This is yeah. before, before the Hemsworths, <laughs> but uh, we certainly had our fair share of uh, celebrities 
coming through our beautiful business, having a fantastic time, and that's where it got famous, I guess, for those in, in Hollywood to come and spend some time. So, Who's the most famous person you've served? Well, we invited Richard Branson to our staff party. That was kind of cool. We looked after Robert De Niro. He had just opened Nobu and he sent his manager to come and poach me to help open the London Nobu, which in the year that it opened, won best new restaurant in the world. I made other choices, but uh, that's the world. Any regrets? I regret not spending some time in London. Uh, I love Europe. Um, I've spent a lot of time over there and uh, never really spent any time in, in London, so that could have been fun. Yeah, I've heard some pretty cool stories. I think it'd be, yeah, sliding doors moment, I think. Yeah, a really fun story was uh, looking after Keith Richards for a lunch uh, that ended at uh, 9pm, started at 11am and finished at 9 9 p.m. Yeah, that's a story for another day, though. Um, I'm sure that you have so many stories. If you've worked in places like that, you must have such a collection of them. Uh, look, some of those names are outside of my generation, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, definitely has some weight to it. And as you said, they're sliding door moments. You know, you don't want to have a regret and look back and go, oh, "I wish I had have done that," or "I, you know, had have followed." De Niro and who knows where you, have, you would have ended up but here you are in Bendigo. You've had such an incredible stamp here with Rocks on Rosalind, so many other things. As I said Finn, I've googled you, there's <laughs> so much. What is it that you love about Bendigo in both hospitality and tourism? Why do those two things talk to you? Well, I'm um, a Bendigo boy. I was uh, born at Bendigo Base and um, my mum and dad had a really fantastic uh, relationship with Bendigo and uh, they're still here just down the road and it's really lovely to have grandma and grandpa or far, far and far more in Danish for uh, my beautiful son, Dane. Now, my industry needs spokespeople. We need to put uh, Bendigo on the map We've got so much good stuff here in Bendigo and I didn't see it before I left. But when I came back, Bendigo is a beautiful town. The architecture being built of a history that is really significant. It's the most beautiful city in Australia. I reckon it would be the coolest city in Australia if Roslyn Park was the beach. But, uh, you know, we've done very well with what we've got. The fact now that there's stuff to do in Bendigo compared to what I experienced as a, as a young fella, the art precinct, having the gallery do what it does to bring people into, into Bendigo, having Alumbra Theatre to be able to host international acts and to support the sleeping and the food and beverage industry and the local producers is absolutely fantastic. The wine from here is famous around the world and around the country, and it's a beautiful place to be. Couldn't agree more. In terms of the hospitality industry, what are some challenges that you would face in terms of your mental health and wellbeing? I mean, the hours are probably one already. Weekend work, that sort of thing. What are some that you know of? Well, I did a bit of research before this podcast about what causes anxiety and depression in men. And um, from the Beyond Blue website, it's got physical health is something that causes 
anxiety and depression in men, relationship problems or difficulties, employment problems, social isolation, family troubles. Um, and th this is nearly the entire list. And uh, to work in hospitality, unless you have a regime that is monk-like, physical health is a challenge in our industry because of the hours that you keep, the fact that food is a really important thing to be able to manage your intake of, of good, healthy food. If you're working at the time when your family is eating and you're working at the time when other places are open, you don't have that healthy regime or it's very challenging. So that's an extra challenge for people working in our industry, the hospitality industry. Physical lifting, doing Ks on your feet, those sort of things are a real challenge. In a kitchen, just standing in the same place and doing pivots and turning around can give you physical pain and, uh, and challenges. And working behind a bar is very physical as well. And just standing there for 12 hours a day can be a real challenge. Um, relationship problems, which is number two on what causes anxiety and depression in men on the Beyond Blue website. My wife and I, for or many days, are ships in the night. She works school hours and um, she's off early in the morning and um, I'm off late at night and um, it's really challenging to maintain a great relationship with good communication and that is across every level of the hospitality industry whether you're a proprietor, business owner or waiter or food runner. It's always going to be a challenge. So that being a challenge in just mental health as a rule, multiply that when your job kind of makes it really challenging. So social isolation, people walk past and they look into a restaurant and everyone's having a party and shaking tins and listening to tunes and having the best time. The outward look is that you can pop in and have a beer with Finn at any time and it'll all be fun and games. But uh, it was probably 12 years that I spent in Bendigo looking after food and wine societies. Never got invited to a food and wine society dinner um, until recently. I uh, had one person invite me to a barbecue. So as much as you are in the spotlight, people assume that oh, you'll be working, don't even offer. And barbecues, that's my, that's my thing, I love barbecues. So, so that social isolation is inherent in the industry and drugs and alcohol don't get me started. You can just see it in uh, the youth who work behind bars and uh, you see glassy-eyed people on drugs and being a proprietor, having a bottle of wine available to you anytime, it's much easier to lean on those crutches than when you work at uh, health insurance or something like that. Can I ask a question then? Why would you do it then? Why would you choose this industry if there are so many pressures and stresses? Good question. I'm very passionate about it and I am very good at it. I tried to be in sales or a branch manager of health insurance and the lifestyle was perfect. I'd roll in to work at 8.30 and I'd be locking the door at 4.45 on Friday and I didn't even have to think about it over the weekend, which was really alien to me. But there wasn't any happiness, you know. I was dealing with uh, people that had health issues. They were having trouble and, um, you know, I didn't get the joy out of it. In hospitality, I think it's a little bit like being a Italian nonna 
you know, and your family comes around and you cook the, eat the pasta, eat the pasta, you know, you've got some wine and you're in a space where people are just having the best time and uh, most of the time. And um, you, I, I just get energy from that. I live off it. The change, the challenges every day, the adrenaline, I, I love it. I love it. It's not healthy, but I love it. <laughs> and then those that are coming through, those younger ones, how do you then mentor them? This is really important to me, mentoring young people and watching your team go and do really well. They come, they're, they're a good kid and then you teach them some stuff and then they're a good waiter or a good bartender and then they go off and they run other businesses and they become managers and they're, and they're fantastic at what they do and uh, it really is gives you warmth to watch people develop. The way I do it now is um, I have to choose the right person, which um, I never really knew what to do. Uh, and it's been even more challenging since uh, COVID shutdowns that uh, to find quality professionals. So we have to make our own. I've resigned to that since I left some of Australia's hubs of tourism and hospitality like St Kilda and Byron Bay, where people are drawn and professionals throw their resumes in the hat and they're just ready to ready to go. But in Bendigo, there's a lot of people who haven't had those experiences, um, haven't worked at the top venues in the world, or their mum and dad never took them out to dinner and they don't know which um, hand to hold a knife and fork in, right? People think that, uh, oh, I'll just be a waiter, okay? But uh, it's not that easy. It's a learnable skill. But um, teaching people is not easy either. And teaching people is a learnable skill. I know people who have done the local TAFE course of uh, train the trainer, which takes a year, and it is like pulling your hair out. I think the TAFE in Bendigo do lots of wonderful things. I think that that course specifically is a real challenge and not relevant to local Bendigo hospitality trainers. I think a better course is Evolve 3, um, which is a Melbourne company that evolved from Eldred Hospitality, which were trainers since 1987. These guys teach more in their three-day course than they do at the TAFE course, and it's only three days, cost the same. But um, it is a wonderful group of people who are invested in teaching people how to teach people in the industry. We need to choose the right person who is the right fit for the business and the business needs to be the right fit for the person. A lot of people, they just want a job and they'll go anywhere, but uh, I, I want my staff to be here for two years and have a memory of an experience in their life that they can look back on as a real development, a real fun time. I'm all about that. It's so interesting that you've continually upskilled yourself, Finn, to be able to skill yourself here at the dispensary. Is that something that you intentionally do, is continually learn? Absolutely, and it's good for my mental health. So you can doom scroll in the dark and um, not think about anything and try to put, a, put aside all of your stresses, or you can identify some of those stresses and try and figure out whether it's a micro-credential or whether it's a, uh, a full-on course that's expensive, if you find the right thing, the right niche, 
what you can do is you can work towards making your business much smoother and with great deal of confidence. I did a course in human resource management at Bendigo TAFE. I got a lot out of it. It was 2007. I was just trying to get some paperwork behind my um, skills. And I went through and I I learned a lot. But uh, what I learned was that it's a minefield and it's a real challenge. I got offered to join a group called EmployShore. EmployShore, they cost you money. It's in the scheme of things about $70 a week for my business and it depends on how your business is structured. So EmployShore, before I never thought that I could afford, but while I wasn't a part of them, the buck stopped with me in human resource management. And it's scary when staff have the upper hand because you're ignorant to what the real rules are. You can read the award a thousand times and still not understand the law jargon. And when you are held to ransom by a dodgy staff member because you don't have the skills to be able to manage their performance or put them on a performance management schedule or just to get rid of them, you have to live with that and that will cause stress at home too. So I pay these people and they helped me write individual employment contracts with my staff that make my staff confident that they've got a contract to be um, a part of the, the business and it shows them what their responsibilities are, it's written down on paper. Also helps me choose their rate of pay. So I am confident that I'm paying my staff at the correct rate of pay, which in history before Corona was the number one issue in HR in hospitality when George Columbaris and uh, Justin Hems, these big names are just ripping off their staff and then just being dragged through court and and dragged through the media. Imagine the mental health issue from that. So because I I pay someone the equivalent to an hour of an HR professional per week, I've got this peace of mind. So that's outsourcing some of these issues and I find that uh, those guys are, are really great. And it's when you look at it as to how much that's costing you, as you just said, it's an hour, Yeah. you know, for that peace of mind... And, and just to build some structure behind your business. It- Absolutely, because I've tried to upskill and upskill, but, you know, I'm just a waiter. Yeah, so... Hardly. I think you're more than just a waiter, but, Thank you. you know, human resources or for some people it will be their accounting, their bookkeeping, their tax, you yeah. know, trying to do that because you're like, well, I'll just do the best myself rather than pay, you know, $300. Yeah, yeah. Just get a professional to do it well, take that stress off yourself and then they're liable as much as you are to be able to argue and you can't argue because it's you versus 20,000 ATO staff and you don't know what they're talking about and they just do upskilling every single day that's like half their half their life isn't it just uh, doing online quizzes um excuse me <laughs> <laughs> um but you know all of those sort of government things there's more than 50 1,500 staff at WorkCover. There's 300,000 staff at Victorian government and they're all relying on us small businesses to pay our tax right. So, so they're invested in um, us doing it right. So uh, that can be a massive stress on, on a business owner. 
Would you say a business is never too small to look at these things? Um, I would say a business is never too small to look at these things. I think when it causes you anxiety in a situation, whether it be your taxes or whether it be a challenging conversation with a staff member, I think there's a deficit in your confidence. And um, that deficit in confidence can come from five-year degree. But if you don't have time, um, uh, which none of us do, then outsourcing can be an option or um, micro-credential might give you confidence as well. Because when you have confidence, there instantaneously alleviates anxiety and depression and stress. And it lifts the whole industry as well. If one is doing it and they're seeing the success of that, hopefully everyone else follows on. So, and it just, I don't know. <laughs> uh, absolutely. When I go to these Evolve 3 courses that I've been talking about, I'm sitting next to all of the staff from Supernormal. I'm sitting next to the staff from the Stoke House. I'm sitting next to the staff from the managers and the supervisors and I'm sitting next to staff from the St Elmo group who are just buying new restaurants and new restaurants and every time you go there, you're welcomed and then they upsell you and you walk away, you sign a check, you're like, whoa, how did that happen? But woohoo, I just had the best time. <laughs> um, uh, it is amazing. And those successful businesses invest in education. So the owner has to be educated to be able to send their staff or to see the value in sending their staff because it's expensive. A friend of mine told me a joke, CEO and a CFO playing golf on a Friday afternoon. The CFO hasn't had a chance to talk to the CEO in private for a long time. And uh, he's got this great idea. There's a million dollars in education, in the education budget that they're just spending on all of these staff. And he's like, you know what? We educate all of these staff and then they become really, really good at their job and then they get poached by other people and they leave us. It's outrageous. And the CFO says, oh, how do you, we could just cut it, make a million bucks straight away. And the CEO says, yeah, but what if we don't educate them and they stay? <laughs> so, you know, I love looking at that joke in irony. Yes. Okay, because it's the same, not just in my small business here in Chancery Lane at the dispensary, but I see it up at Bendigo Health too. So one of our most shining icons of beautiful business and our government-funded support some of the managers up there really are not confident in managing. So I, I see it everywhere now that I'm aware of it. It's, um, it's funny, it's like driving a yellow car. You're like, oh, I'm the only yellow car, and then there's all the yellow cars. But when you, when you observe it, you see it everywhere, and you hear these people talking about how their job is and how no one listens to them. We don't always, but we try to have four weekly performance appraisals. And this is not for performance management. This is to talk one-on-one -on -one with your team member and say, what have you observed? How can we make our business better? You need to pick your game up on this. And, oh, you want to learn about rum? Do this course. It's, um, and that's why we retain our staff. 
So I was told that you're a good person to interview and I'm going to enjoy this and (laughs) (laughs) they weren't wrong. I wish we had actually longer. I've got so many questions and there's so many parts. We haven't even touched on you being a board director at Bendigo Tourism, which would be a whole nother conversation. Just one last question. If you could ask for one thing professionally or personally, what would it be? (sighs) That's a great question. Okay, first of all, personally, it would be uh, better communication with my beautiful wife and spending more time with my wife and my son. That is a goal that's on the list for 2024. Professionally, the confidence of proprietors in Bendigo to send staff to education. They don't know what they're missing out on. If you don't tell a staff member how to upsell or that their job is to be a salesperson and that the guest, when they come to the restaurant, it's not like buying a car. They're not going to go to a Mercedes dealership if they've got a budget for a used Hyundai, right? But when they go to a restaurant, they're they're not going to say, okay, we're going to spend $26 on food and $17 on drinks. They're in your hands. So when people people arrive, you say, oh, welcome, you're at a bar, would you like a drink? And um, that's exactly what they want. So you are meeting the expectation. In fact, uh, you're exceeding the expectation because the expectation is, oh, sit down, Uh, what do you want? So, you know, educate these kids um, so that when you poach someone else's staff or when someone poaches your staff, they know what they're doing. They're two great answers, Finn. Fabulous. As I said, thank you so much for being a guest. I think we're so lucky in Bendigo to have you as a spokesperson as well, that, you know, you have that opportunity to speak on behalf and to create an environment that is supportive of the industry. Uh, And it's obviously only getting better. My son's in hospitality at the moment. Uh, And just some of the things that that you've said, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I know that he hasn't been to the gym all week. You know, right. Or last week because, you know, school's finished, so he's working longer yep. hours already. That's so it. even just those little things that you're mentioning, I'm picking up now, I'm thinking, okay, how do I help him as a 17-year-old? I know that sounds young. Of course they do. They need more than, than everybody else. They need to run around and lift heavy things. The um, circadian dysrhythmia comes uh, like if you're a pilot that's part of your life but um, if you come from school and then you've been up in the morning and then you finished at uh, four o'clock or five o'clock you finish your homework at eight o'clock and you're in bed when you're going to bed at two o'clock or three o'clock sleep is you know so important to have some sort of consistency there and if you don't manage that then instantaneously you you get those physical health issues, relationship problems and everything that causes anxiety and depression in men. Yeah, so good. Such a good conversation. Um, So pleased that we've ended this series with you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure to be heard. We love what you guys are doing and um, thanks very much and Merry Christmas if you're listening on Christmas Day. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a review via our socials or connecting with us online at bbendigo.com.au.